This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Time now for the hardest hitting hour. In all of newscasting. Oh yeah, I'm talking about GeekWire. You're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. We're bringing you the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. If it's happening in the world, you're about to become aware. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my awesome friend, kick-ass co-host, Mr. Chris Sinzak. He's got the news. How's it going? It's going good, man. Going good. Christmas in July. Off to an awesome start. I'm glad we got to do it. Everybody's raving about Diamond Tim and his awesome kick-ass stories. Man, that dude was the coolest. He was awesome, and I guess we should go ahead and tell people, yes, you're getting a geek wire, but no, Christmas in July is not over. Because I know some people are going to freak out and be like, that's all we're getting? No, don't freak out. You're going to get a whole lot more. we got a whole month to go. But we thought, you know, GeekWire is a thing, too, and we got to keep that going because if we get out of step with the GeekWire, we'll never get caught back up. You won't know what's going on in the world around you. We'll all be completely lost. So in between the Christmas and July celebrations, we got to bring you the news. It's important. Yeah, so um, I hate kicking off this thing with this story, but the, the, it was a really slow news week, so we're going to do the best we can. Um Apparently, Creed is plotting a 2024 tour to celebrate the 25th anniversary of human clay. Creed, yes, ladies and gentlemen, are returning. Oh, boy. <laughs> Put a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I was, I was never a really big Creed fan, but I know a lot of people who were. I'll ad- I'll admit I did own a copy of Human Clay back in the day because I liked some of Tremonti's riffs on that album, um, but but I I can't say I was really so much a fan. I think I, a lot of people bought that album back in the day. It, it sold millions. Oh shit! Yeah, it did. I mean, I never had to buy it because I worked on radio at the time, so I could hear Creed pretty much any time I wanted to because people were requesting that shit left and right. And I'm thinking. I know you had to have bought the CD. Everybody's got every party I go to has got the CD. But man, so popular, so popular. They were everywhere, and like the the singles off this. So higher was the first big hit they had off this record. Ugh. And then uh, with arms wide open was the giant. Pa- it was. But I have to give them credit to have a power ballad in the late nineties go big. That's that, true. That was a hard thing to pull off in those days. That's true. That's true. I'll give them that. Did you ever see? I I don't know what 
it might have been a Thanksgiving game. Did you ever see footage of them playing the halftime show at a Cowboys game? No, I don't think so. I'm, <laughs> I can't wait for your reaction to this. I'll find the video clip of it. They did that song higher at it was. I think it was a Thanksgiving game that year, and I'll just say there's something that happens during their performance that you'll think this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I'm talking <laughs> about more than just Creed's performance. Okay. All right. Yeah. Put that in the show notes. We'll all check it out together. I will. It's, all right. <laughs> I watched it live when it happened, and I remember going, "What am I watching right now? This is so stupid." All um, right. Well, we'll have something to talk about in the comment section. <laughs> yeah, and uh, th- I'm sure some of you listening are laughing your ass off right now, knowing what I'm talking about. Uh, oh but man. But it was really cringy. I can't wait to see it now. <laughs> I'm excited for the first time ever. I'm excited about Creed. <laughs> Oh, man. But seriously, I'm sure a lot of people are really excited about that because, damn, you know, that's one of those bands that I think nowadays a lot of people don't admit to liking. But almost everybody owned the CD. I mean, it's impossible to sell that many if people weren't buying it. Well, like I said, I admit I owned it. I had a copy of the CD. Well, all right. <laughs> well, they were the uh, they were the Nickelback of their time. It's funny Nickelback was just True. getting their start around the same time. So then they they kind of took the torch and carried on from them. That's true. That's true. Is Creed and and Nickelback and Three Doors Down and oh. and they they all kind of blend together to me. Three Doors Down. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be checking out that concert. <laughs> no, you're not going to be going to. Uh... I'm like, well, let's make a prediction of Nashville venues. Which one do you think Creed would be playing at? All right. Well, I mean, taking into consideration how popular they were and the fact that this is a reunion. I mean, is Creed hasn't been playing together all this time, have they? No, most of the band is Alter Bridge and Scott Stapp is the kind of the only guy that's the odd man out. So they'll be it's basically Alter Bridge with bringing Scott Stapp back. Gotcha. So it is a reunion then. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. So then I would say, hmm. In Nashville, I'm going to say the soccer stadium where Guns N' Roses is playing. That's 30,000 seats. Yeah, I think so. I think Creed in their time was just as popular as Guns N' Roses in their time. And they burnt out about as fast. That's bigger than Bridgestone Arena. I was going to say Bridgestone Arena, but man, you think it, so? It, yeah, I mean, I don't. I think it would do well, but I don't know that they play a soccer. St- well, maybe. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know how much. I don't know how many fervent Creed fans there are out there. If everybody that bought the CD goes, "Holy shit, Creed's back!" Yeah, then that's a pretty big deal. I think. You know that what they should do. <laughs> They should do a double headliner tour with Nickelback and call it the Because Fuck You Tour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't even like either band, but it would be funny uh, on their part if they did that. That'd be something you could threaten your kids with. Be like, if you don't behave, <laughs> I'm buying tickets and you're going. <laughs> you do your homework or you're going to Creed and Nickelback. That's right. I ain't messing around here. That's <laughs> I'm telling my teacher they're going to call DHS on you. <laughs> oh man. Don't look under your bed. Chad Kroger's under there. 
<laughs> crazy. What a uh, crazy way to start the Geek Wire. Yeah, uh, Creed reuniting. That's the uh, first story today. So it's all downhill wow. from here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of negative news, uh, Fear Factory guitarist Dino Cazares has talked about venues taking a cut of the artist's merchandise sales. Now, this is not a new thing, but it's gotten way more prevalent and more and really more uh, gouging than uh, what happened before the pandemic. So it's basically, he says in this article, he was on an interview. He did an interview with the razor's edge, whatever that is, and talked about how essentially they're getting the same amount guarantee wise, but the venues and the ticketing agencies are also taking more of a cut of merchandise sales. And this is a, this is a big problem going forward because musicians don't make shit to start with. So, and my argument has always been that if they're taking part of your merchandise, why do you not get a cut of the alcohol sales? Exactly. 100%. That's what I was thinking. Sure. You take a cut of my t-shirts, you give me a cut of the beer. Yep. It's only fair. If you're going to take from me, I should get some of what you're making. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing the fans in that are drinking that beer. And because they could always say, "Well, you're bringing the the fans in to sell that," or "We're bringing we're bringing the band the fans in to sell that merch." Well, you know the argument right. goes both ways, right? Yeah, huh? It's not like it's a pop up sale of Fear Factory merchandise. It's a fucking concert, you know? Yeah. Well, and I thought this article was interesting. I found this on Blabbermouth, but there's more of a story within the story here, which I thought I'm surprised this wasn't a headline. Because somebody brought up to Dino about, well, why are you not getting a cut of the alcohol? And he says it's all a big thing. It's not one thing. It's all of it. He's talking about like the the ticket agencies also take a cut. Yeah. And he says we don't we do not get a percentage of the alcohol. But I did hear that there was one artist that did, and that was Axl Rose. He says Axl was putting Guns and Roses in stadiums, soccer stadiums, and baseball stadiums, selling forty fifty thousand people. But he was like. If you want GNR in your stadium, you're going to have to give me a piece of the alcohol. And I heard a rumor that he got a piece of that alcohol percentage, which is really good, which evened out to what the promoters were getting from the merch. But not a lot of artists in my genre have that kind of power, if at all. But right. I think that's an interesting story about Axel having that kind of uh, ability to get a cut of that. Well, I'm sure. I mean, if you're Axel Rose versus Dino from Fear Factory making demands, I mean, Axel Rose has got a bigger tower to fight from you know but i mean it sucks i i read something the other day about and it really made me think because you know they got the the writer's strike going on right now right right what would happen if all bands and artists decided for a certain amount of time they weren't going to release any new music they weren't going to play any shows they weren't going to make any appearances they weren't going to post on their social media. They were going to actually strike to fight to get what they deserve back. Think about back in the day when CDs and everything and, and albums sold. Right. And then, you know, it was never a question about, you know, if the bands were going to lose money to the clubs over shit like this because the bands had the power. You know, it was all about, I'm, bringing, I'm paying money to bring this band in because I know... They're going to sell tickets. They're going to sell alcohol. We're going to make a shit ton of money. Everybody's going to have a good time. And I'm going to be thankful to be able to bring this awesome artist in to facilitate all that. Yeah. What if they did like they're doing in Hollywood right now where 
the artists, the music artists said, until we start getting our fair share from Spotify and, you know, put together some demands, you know, because the Hollywood people, they got the union, you know, they got their demands together. This is what we want. And this is what we're going to do until we get it. With music, with artists like that, it don't seem like there's such a thing where, like, the union, the music union would get together and say, these are our demands. Yeah. And until we get them, no concerts. And if you're a band out there, you're playing shows while this is going on, you're a scab, and fans should recognize that, you know, should support the artists to get their due. Could something like that ever happen? I think it's too late. I think the genie's out of the bottle on that. I th- if that would, if that had happened twenty years ago, I think it would have had more legs. I didn't I think yeah. now. And God, I hate being the contrarian and the and the negative view of this, but I think most general public music fans don't give a fuck about new material. Or I mean, the concert part maybe. Yeah. But I still think that people just go see cover bands and, and be happy with that. And live music outside of the, well, I don't know, maybe you do have a point. Cause I'm thinking about the arenas that are filling up for Bon Jovi and kiss right now, but the cover bands have to abide by it too. It has to be an unspoken thing. Like nobody's doing shows. It would take, it would take a groundswell of like commitment from a lot of people. Hmm. Was Lars Ulrich, right? Oh, he was totally right. Yeah, he basically was the Nostradamus of music by saying, you know, by people stealing our music on Napster, it's going to ruin everything. And God bless him. He was right. It's decimated the music industry. I mean, it's, and like, I, I, the saddest thing is, and nobody talks about this much, is like, everybody's like, well, the artists are getting screwed by Spotify and the streaming services. And it's like, well, do you, do you know what kind of deals Spotify cut with the uh, record labels? And how much money the record labels are taking home. Yeah. It's still record label screwing artists. It's just through a conduit third party at the same time. Record companies are still making tons of money. See, and then that's who the strike would have to affect. Well, I and like we know people that are independent artists here in Nashville that I've talked to. And I'll talk to some of these. And I'm not naming names because I don't want to get into their business. But... They're good enough bands on their own, and they have a following, and they're doing well, and they actually sell good enough product independently. And they're like, yeah, we're thinking of signing with such and such label. And I'm like, why? Don't bother. Yeah. What are they going to do for you that you're not already doing for yourself? Being on a label is nothing like it used to be. And, no. and basically, you're just giving somebody else more of your money, and you can make is just as the only thing i could i could see where it benefits you is distribution but if you do your homework and you're willing to throw a little bit of money in on your own it's not that much for you to do your own distribution and make out more money in the process yeah because at that point then all you're really paying for is the ability to say whatever recording artist these guys and what's that really worth nowadays Mm -mm. say oh i've been signed to you know, name a label. Well, and I like that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all labels are the bad guy. Cause there are labels that are doing great things, but at the same time, it's like, it's not the world it used to be. So it's, right. but with your idea, I think of a, a strike type thing or, or like a stoppage of work. Uh, I think it would, at the very least it would help send a message. Yeah. Everybody from 
the people at the very top all the way down to the bands doing covers on a Thursday night somewhere. The music stops. I think the tribute and cover bands, while they're fun to go see, I do think they've eaten a good percentage of original bands' audience. Well, when you got these guys out there doing it now that when you look at it and go, well, you know, I hate to say it, but the cover band was better. (laughs) Well, and it's also like our friend Lonnie, who used to host Metalworks here, would tell us, you know, the the average music fan wants to hear the songs they grew up with, and that's all they care about. Yeah. And it sucks, though, because it's like, as you and I both know from experience, uh, music discovery can be just as much fun in your 40s as it was when you were 12. Oh, yeah, totally. It's awesome. Except now it's like overload. Yeah, there's a lot. There's so that, much that's why stuff. we have our show, because we help kind of filter out the crap for you. Yeah, yeah. You'd almost have to get the radio stations on board. Like, shut down radio, like we're not playing music. Well, some would question if they're playing music to start with. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you want to hear Bohemian Who's- Rhapsody again? Who's go. gonna Who's gonna step up and lead the rock and roll revolution? That's a good question. Then when it's all said and done, we'll bitch that we're paying for everything again. Yeah, but I would still rather live in a world where we do pay for it. Me too, because I still do pay for it. Yeah. So it makes no difference to me. I'd like to see everybody else pay for it. Buy the physical copies, you know, do what you can, especially for the fighting bands, you know, the ones that aren't mega stars already. I will stream. I'm not going to lie, but I, but I still buy product. Yeah. I've actually got a copy of a fortune child's record coming my way. That was ordered. Nice. Nice. And I just got in the mail a Sikama two CD from Japan and a Hide the guitar player from X solo album. Oh, have you listened to it yet? No, I haven't had a chance to crack them open yet, but I've been excited for them. And those are ones I'm never going to find them in the wild in Tennessee. So I put a little money aside and every once in a while I'll order something cool from over there. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I love that stuff. I'm curious to what that Hide album sounds like. Uh, From the videos I saw, it's pretty awesome, but I'm willing to check out the rest of it. Well, I can tell you this, the guitar playing kicks ass and I haven't even heard it yet. Well, speaking of kick-ass guitar players, let's talk a little bit about, well, indirectly about Eddie Van Halen. Um, Mm -hmm. Sammy Hagar has once again weighed in on the proposed Van Halen tribute concert that still hasn't happened, saying he would, quote, love to play with Alex Van Halen one more time. Uh, He came on the That Rock Show, which is basically the YouTube version of that metal show with Eddie, Jim, and Don. Mm -hmm. And they were asking him about the possible reunion of surviving Van Halen members for a tribute concert. And he said, it's the same old story. It's the same old fucking story. Alex won't respond to me. I reach out to him. I haven't done it in a long time now because it's like, hey, you want to talk to me? Call me. But there's not going to be a Van Halen reunion. First of all, it's too late. I've already said it a million times. Wolfie is doing such a great job with what he's doing, and he would be the perfect guy. So that's out. Dave and I are still alive, but there's no way he would cooperate with me. So if he goes out by himself, that's not a Van Halen reunion. That's half a Van Halen reunion. If I go out by myself without him, it's half a Van Halen reunion. Only good news about that is that I could sing his songs just fine, but Mike and I are like this, crosses his fingers, 
And if Al wanted to come play with us, I would love to play with Al. I said it recently. I would love to play music with Al. I would like to write a song with Al. I would like to go into a studio and jam with Al. But the thought of a Van Halen reunion without Eddie, no, there's no such thing. You know what? I never thought I'd say this about Sammy Hagar, but <laughs> well spoken. No, he's right. The, the, the time's passed to have it at this point. It's kind of nice to have a Sammy Hagar thing come up on GeekWire and be like, yeah, that's cool. That's, that doesn't happen very often. It's kind of nice. I wonder what Maynard from Tool thinks, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'd like to see it. Who wouldn't? I mean, I think it would be great. But, um, yeah, I, to me, like I think I've said this on the show before, I think with Wolfie going up during the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert at Wembley and doing a couple of Van Halen songs with his dad's guitar, I think that was as close as we needed to get for a tribute show. If it was going to happen, it would have happened right after he passed. It's been too long. Yeah, I agree with that. I think what Wolfie did was good enough. Yeah. I mean, it was cool as hell. And I, I love him as a player, but I cannot get into his original music. What about you? He's got a new album coming out real soon. You'll have another chance to try it. Well, have you heard? Did you hear the the single that came out from it? Uh, no, not yet. It's a typical Wolfie Van Halen song musically, but then on the solo, all of a sudden you you feel like you're listening to his dad play, and it turns out he took out his dad's Frankenstrat and recorded the solo with it. Nice. And like use the same amps and everything. And it does sound like an Eddie Van Halen solo. That's the other. I love the solo, the song itself. I just don't like it. Sounds like modern rock Nickelback slash Foo Fighter stuff. Well, I guess we know who's going to be opening up on the uh, big Creed tour, huh? Yeah, that, that it would make total sense, too. That's a prediction right there. Yeah. So, I don't know if you saw this, the uh, 2024 Monsters of Rock Cruise have announced over 30 artists for next year's cruise. Did you oh, see the shit. lineup? No. Wow. This might be the year I finally go. Well, with this lineup, I think this is the year you're going to probably want to go. Um, well, let me think of the look at the, well, I'll just go through the list, and some of these are going to pique your interest for sure. Uh, Joe Satriani, Extreme, The Darkness, Winger, KK's Priest, KK Downing, uh, Ace Fraley, nice. Except Queens Riot, Quiet Riot, Y and T, Glenn Hughes, April Wine, TNT, oh, wow. Crazy Licks, Slaughter, British Lion, Firehouse, Vixen, Heat, Armored Saint, Richie Cotts, and Faster Pussycat, Jeff Scott Soto, Dangerous Toys, Lizzie Borden, Enough's Enough. Oh wow, yeah. Sp- Spread Eagle, Black and Blue, Joel Hoekstra, Pat Travers, Crash Diet, Bang Tango, Tough. Yeah. Heaven's Edge, Treat, Paradise Kitty, and Kaleido, hosted by Eddie Trunk. Wow. It's going to Miami, Jamaica, and the Bahamas. I love all those bands and artists. I know. This might be the year that I finally cave and go to this one, too. Shit. But you can't see them all, can you? Not well. Well, no, there's always, there's overlap. Hmm. I, I mean, for you, if they would just make sure that Tough, Enough's Enough, and Ace Fraley are not scheduled on top of each other, I think you'd be good. Yeah, because I could bounce around to the rest. It is kind of sad not seeing kicks on this list because they're doing their yeah. final show this year. Yeah, because they would be. Yeah. No Karabi either. Hmm. That's a little weird. I wonder what he's got going on. 
He's rejoining Motley Crue. No. Yeah, probably not. To me, it's a great lineup, too, though. It's got a bunch of my favorites on here, too. I want to see The Darkness, for sure. Yeah, Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden, um, except Y&T's yeah. on here. Hell, yeah. I mean, TNT, we get to see Tony with TNT. Oh, yeah. I mean, British Lion, that's Steve Harris's band. Right, yeah. Uh, Vixen with Tyson. Um, Faster Pussycat, of course, which, I mean, we've both seen them like six times. But Yeah, I'd see them a hundred times. Um but no, it's a it's it's a hell of a lot. This might be the best lineup I've seen them put out. Pretty great, man. I'm gonna have to talk to the wife about this. We've been always kind of talking about maybe going and doing one of those, and I never have, and I never did the Kiss Cruise either. I like to keep my feet firmly planted on solid ground, but man, that might lure me out to sea. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the boat thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the main reason I've never done stuff like that, because I just don't I don't know about the whole boat thing. Yeah, with my luck, I'd pay thousands of dollars to do the whole thing and then wind up throwing up through the whole thing. Oh, man. Um, this was an interesting story that came out this week. Uh, did you hear this about Mark Tornillo of Accept uh, doing a gig and singing with Iron Maiden in the 80s? No, uh-uh, Mark Tornillo from Accept. Yeah, so like he was in the band TT Quick, which was a Jersey band. They were good. Yeah, and I'm sure you've heard of the club Lamore in Brooklyn. Yep, it's very famous. I'm trying to I'm trying to paraphrase this story cuz it's long on here. So basically they they had like a residency gig every Thursday night at Lamore in TT Quick and they were the headliner and they did like 6-700 people on a Thursday night. And so basically Maiden was in town around 83 doing their, I guess that would have been the number of the beast tour, right? Yeah. Right around in there. Yeah. Yeah. So they probably, I'm guessing they probably played Nassau Coliseum or something like that. And they, TT quick was doing their residency gig and some guys from iron maiden showed up at the gig and you know, they were, so they like some of the people in the band wanted to hang out backstage and, you know, they were like, yeah, come on back and hang out. And then Mark's like, well, you guys should get up and play. And they're like, no, nah, we don't want to play. We don't want to play. And so TT quick goes up and starts doing their set. And a few songs in the, like the manager of the band, like pulls Mark to the side on the stage and he goes, the guys want to play now. And he's like, oh shit, cool. So he starts to introduce them and they come up on stage, they put instruments on, and he's thinking he's going to intro Iron Maiden. He's getting ready to walk off the stage. And Steve Harris, I think, or no, Dave Murray grabs him by the arm and says, where are you going? He's like, I'm not, I'm getting off the stage so you guys can play. He's like, uh, Bruce is not here, buddy. You're in. Oh, wow. And he got, and they, he was like, well, what do you want me to sing? And they said, how about Wrathchild? So he got to, he got to sing Wrathchild with Iron Maiden in a club. Wow. How fucking crazy is that? That's freaking awesome. <laughs> that would have been like, he said he didn't sleep for three days because the adrenaline oh, was so high. Whew, good thing he knew the words. And then he's like, and then we had to come out and finish the show. And I was like, how do I top that? <laughs> wow. Man, those people got a treat that night. Those are the, uh, those are the types of stories I like. And the rest of TT Quick looked at each other and go, shit, someday one of these big bands is going to come by and steal our singer. Yep. Worked out pretty good for Mark Tornillo. 
It did. And like with Accept, it, was, it's, it is kind of mind-blowing that they found somebody to replace Udo and, and make them sound that good. Yeah, they're putting that, out some amazing stuff nowadays. Yeah, I think their latest albums are the best ones they've done. I don't know. I kind of look at them as two different bands a little bit. They are kind of. Although I don't know, like I was listening to that album uh, Breaker recently. Oh yeah, that's a great fucking record. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of that, makes me think. Speaking of except, makes me think that last time on Geekware we were talking about new albums coming out. We were talking about Bangalore Choir. Mm-hmm. David Reese is the lead singer of Bangalore Choir and has been for all these years, but he's also known as the guy that sang on your favorite Accept album, Eat the Eat Heat. The heat. Yeah. So after we got done recording, I was like, oh, okay, all right, I know that guy. Eat. I listened to Eat the Heat like a week ago, and I'm, I still say it's a great record. Yeah, I kind of look at that as a different band too, but there are good songs on there. Couple. It fit in at the time, and it it wasn't too glammy. It was them going a little more commercial, but Generation Clash is still a great great tune. It's true, it is. All right, well, I guess that puts us about part way through, huh? Let's do some rock star birthdays, rock star death days, and look to the future with new albums coming our way. Hmm, where to begin? Let's start with Death Days this time. Okay. Well, let's start out with this one here. Chris, I know you're familiar with the name Arthur Kane, the mm, killer. Killer Kane. Killer Kane from the New York Dolls. Awesome guitar player. He died back in 2004. Remembering him on the 13th. This one's from, I don't know, we where we left off last time we're picking up on. We'll go into the future a little bit. This one's kind of a bummer. He was he was up there in age, but 22 days after a New York Dolls reunion show in 2004, Arthur Kane thinks he's got the flu, so he checks into a Los Angeles hospital where they figure out he don't have the flu. He's got leukemia. Yeah. Two hours later, he's dead. Have you seen the documentary New York Doll about, about him? No. Uh-uh. Is Blackie yeah. Lawless in it? No, he's not. Um, well, Blackie Lawless was in was in New York was in uh, the band for like two weeks, right? But after that, he formed a band with Arthur Kane. Oh, that he is mentioned. He is mentioned on that. Yeah. yeah. Um. But but no, the documentary New York Doll. If you haven't seen it, it's worth your time. It's 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 really good. It follows him because like, you know, he his life became a mess in the eighties, and he literally hurled himself out a window trying to kill himself. He was so fucked up. Wow. And became a born again Christian, born again Mormon and living uh wor- living and working for the Mormon church. And that was when um Morrissey, who is an artist that we typically don't cover on this show, right. um Morrissey would hosted this thing every year called the Meltdown and it was a thing in in I think in London where he would basically, he decided who the music was for the night and he would bring bands together to play this thing. And he was, he grew up a big New York dolls fan. So he gets the New York dolls to reunite. And this documentary happens to be filming Arthur Kane, who 
poor guy, you know, works in the church library and rides the bus every day, just very mild mannered, meek guy. And it follows him as he reunites with, you know, Sylvain Sylvain and David Johansson to, to do this show. And, um, you basically see the whole process of how it goes. It's a very, very good documentary. Even if you don't like the New York Dolls, it's totally worth watching. And but at the end, it's the epilogue because it's like two weeks after he got back to L.A., he died. It was like super sad. Yeah, that sucks, man. Yeah, but like he, it was like hit. It was his dream come true to to reunite with those guys. I suppose you know it'd been so long ago, and his life is completely different. Did he? Did he dress up for it? I mean, being a New mm-hmm. York Dolls show, yeah, he did. He did. He, um, I mean, he didn't go glam, but he like he wore like a like a ruffled shirt, like a pirate, yeah, and uh, and had like leather pants and boots, and and yeah, he looked really cool for for his age, you know. And but, he could uh, still play and everything. Yeah, that, well, it took you could tell he was way out of practice. Yeah. Um, and like part of the documentary is like he had during his drug and alcohol years, he had pawned his bass off from back in the day, and. Part of the story was a guy from the church that believed in him and knew that he had this gig fronted him the money so he could get the the bass out of pawn so he could start practicing again. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a very heartfelt and touching documentary. It's worth your time. It's pretty cool, man. It's really kind of a full circle thing. Yeah. Hmm. Well, then that takes us up to the 14th of 2021, which... Man, definitely one of the saddest days in the life of this show. That's the day we lost Gary Corbett and Jeff Labar on the same day. That was a fucked up day. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you guys don't know the story. Gary Corbett was somebody we interviewed because of his connections with Kiss and his friendship with Eric Carr. And then we quickly learned he had a most amazing personality and was a great guest on the show. And furthermore than that, he was an awesome, awesome dude. And, you know, podcasters all the time interview people and you say, oh, our good friend, you know, whoever, you need to say that they were a former guest, but you call him your good friend. It's rare that you become good friends with people. And, Gary Corbett was somebody that you could actually say our good friend Gary Corbett because he truly was. So much so that when when I moved, one of the most excited things I was about moving into my new home was that it was going to be pretty close to where Gary lived. And I'll never forget because I'd been reaching out to Gary and, hey, man, guess what, you know, we're moving next week and we're going to be real, real close to you. And I, I just always imagined like, like Gary Corbett was going to be like my buddy for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to get out here and be almost Gary's neighbor and get to hang out with him all the time. And he was such a great guy. I know we would have. Yeah. And then, you know, after reaching out and not hearing nothing and reaching out and they're like, hey, we're all moved in, you know, what's up? I asked you, you know, have you heard from Gary? And you told me you hadn't either. And then I think what Mindy reached out to Ron. Well, what the the way I found out about it was through a guy named John Jeffrey, who does um, 
this thing called Buffalo Rock City. It's like a Kiss tribute thing for charity. And he had contacted me because he knew that I was friendly with Gary and was trying to get a hold of it. Cause like, I guess Gary had a kind of ingredient principle to play keys on one of these kiss songs. Yeah. And he was basically hitting a dead end on getting Gary to respond to him. And I was like, well, I don't feel right about bugging him. But then it was like a month later, he's like, I still haven't heard back. And I'm thinking that's not like Gary to do that. No. And so I was like, all right, I'll bother him. Cause I typically tried to stay out of Gary's business. I didn't, I, I was friendly with him, but I, I tried not to intrude on him, but I was like, all right, I'm going to bug him. So I texted him. I'm like, Hey, this John Jeffrey guy wants me to ask you if you're wanting to play on this. And out of nowhere, he responds and he goes, I just got some devastating health news. I'll have to get back to him. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you okay? And he goes, no, I'm not. And then that was when the whole thing kicked off. It hurts even now. Yeah. Even now. Because he was, I mean, shit. He was Gary Corbett. He was one of a kind. All the people I listened to the episodes with him, they loved him. We loved him. Such a nice guy. And, like, I, you know, I didn't know it was going to be the anniversary this past week. And then um, Andrew Scambatti, um shared a thing the the rise to it documentary he did about the hot in the shade tour and mentioned you know we lost gary two years ago and i was like oh fuck has it been two years and i realized it was the anniversary but i um i watched it and there's a lot of really great footage of eric on there eric and gary hanging out together and um it kind of brought everything all back which was hard but at the same time it also made me smile because he was such a sweetheart of a guy yeah yeah, he sure was. I'll miss that guy for the rest of my life. And like I said, I really, I always thought Gary was going to be one of them where we'd be old men hanging out together. Like he was, I always remember like Metal Mike took a picture of me and Gary standing next to each other. And he said, if I didn't know any better, I think you guys were father and son. And I was like, <laughs> man, I would be honored to be your kid. Yeah, he was a. Uh... He was a trip, and I'll never forget we 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 interviewed him that first time, and like uh, it was uh, well when the episode comes out, he uh, he I get an email from him like within half an hour, and he goes, "Did you guys give me sodium pentothal or some shit? You can actually hear me forgetting that I'm being recorded." And I was like, I went into a panic. I'm like, "Oh no, Gary, I'm so sorry." And he's like, "No, that's a sign of how good you guys are at what you do." Yeah. He's like, "No, I said those things and I stand by them. Leave it up." Yeah, because because like, oh. we even went back and we're like, you know, when we did the edit on it, like there's some stuff in here. You know, maybe we should ask Gary if it's okay. You know, if if he's sure. Yeah, you because know? <laughs> we thought that much of him. It was like, just ask him. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I said it. Leave it in. Yeah, he was like, "Well, I'm I'm never going to work with Kiss again, so just put it out." I was like, "All right." Yeah. Yeah, he had a chance to you know, tell his story and tell his side of how he saw all that go down and it's just an honor that we were the ones that got to, you know, reestablish Gary in a way where I think people became aware of him again. You know, you forget about the guy behind the curtain on the Hot in the Shade tour, you know? 
Yeah, and Andrew's documentary, there's a there's a scene where they're backstage and they start filming Gary, and Gary looks at the camera and he goes, "They're never going to use any of this. You're wasting your film." I'm the, he's like, "I'm invisible." <laughs> he knew his role. Yeah, he's like, "I'm I'm the guy they don't know." And like, there's even a part where they go to SIR rehearsals for the tour. And all of a sudden, the camera goes over to Gary, who's sitting there by his keyboard. And Paul Stanley goes, and this guy was in the next studio hall, and he's just a keyboardist from another band, and we don't really know him. And, like, Gary just starts laughing. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, it was one of those things where it's like, we're not going to acknowledge that you're there, but you're obviously there. Because, I mean, he's in the tour book, too. I'll never forget that. My right? first show yeah. was Hot in the Shade. And I remember looking at the crew thing, and it's got a picture of him holding sunglasses. And it says, Gary Corbett, keyboards from hell. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, they were open that they had a keyboard player. Yeah, it's just wild that they include him in the tour book, but not let him be up on stage. Well, they thought they thought it looked wussy to have a keyboard player, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Well, but we every, know that. was doing it. Right, yeah, because Gary told us a story about the, the figure skating Gene Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> and he had the... Uh, he had the keyboard condo off to the side of the stage. Yeah. I bet it was a party hanging out with him every night. <laughs> oh, you know it was. You know it was. Man, God bless Gary Corbett. I'm so grateful that he came into our lives. Me too. I miss him. I mean, shit. And then in 2021, on the very, very same day, we found out that we lost Jeff Labar, who, although he was never a guest on the show, I don't know why, because sure. every... Every time we ran into him somewhere, because he also lived here in Nashville, we all hit it off great. I'll never forget hanging out in front of the uh, Zanies Comedy Club with him, and he had us laughing harder than the comedians were. Yeah, he was a trip. Super cool guy. Always very nice, always very cordial, would talk to the fans, would talk to us. And like I said, he was always at the coolest parties, and he was... He was a cool, really cool guy. I don't know why we never had him on the show. It just, it never, well, it worked, it never worked out because I always try, I tried getting him on the show a few times and I also tried getting him to come to Rock and Pod. Yeah. And, uh, cause I'm like, come on, Jeff. I'm like, people would love to meet you and, and get their stuff signed. And he's, no, nah, I don't want to do it. And I was like, well, come on, you know, come on, Decibel Geek. And, and, it, and like he would tell me, you know, like, all oh, Tom handled everything. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. Then, yeah. I always got the vibe that there was, a little bit of hard feelings between between the, the in the camp with Jeff and them but but also I, I saw in interviews later towards the end of his life where he admitted that he was like my drinking got out of control and and the band paid for it right and and he yeah. said that we didn't the reason Cinderella hasn't reunited is because of me and my problems yep i do remember seeing something that he said that a while back well and it just got to give was, him credit for that you know yeah have, well, he, that, that takes balls to make that kind of admission he wound up being the um, the head chef at Claim Jumper at Opry Mills. That's right. And um, I know I went there one day for lunch, and like a friend, I, whoever it was I was meeting was like, "Well, you know, Jeff Labar is the chef here." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know." And they're like, "We should go get him." And I'm like, "I don't want to do that to him." You know, he, although he seemed at peace with where he was at the end. Yeah. But it was weird though because Gary and him, you know, within 24 hours they were both gone, and they they were bandmates also. Right, in Cinderella, because Gary Corbett was a part of that band, too. Yeah. Yeah, small world, all happening here in Nashville. Man, 
I'll, yeah, tough day. I'll never forget it. That's that was one of the worst days ever, right there. It was <sighs> hard to move on from that, but we got a few more to do before we wrap up rock star death days, the people we want to remember. Back in 1999, at the age of 41, classic Megadeth drummer Gar Samuelson passed away on the 22nd of liver failure. What you might not know about Gar Samuelson is that even though he only appeared on the two Megadeth albums, as awesome as they were, after he was out of the band, he was in another one called Fatal Opera. That's pretty good. And they had a few albums, too. Never heard any of their stuff. No, I never had either until I was looking at this. It's like, I'm going to have to check that out. And what I saw seemed pretty good. I remember the name. Yeah. All right. Let's see. So back in 2022, at the age of 58, are you familiar with Bob Heathcote? No, not offhand. Got some kind of abbreviation here, but I don't remember what it is. H W I L T. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Bob Heathcote. He was the bass player in Suicidal Tendencies before Robert Churillo joined the band. Hmm. He only played on the album "How Will I Laugh Tomorrow If I Can't Even Smile Today." <laughs> That's I thought Robert that Trujillo stood. played on all those records. Nope. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. He came in. I want to say, well, I guess after that album. Huh. <laughs> that was the last one to not feature Robert when he joined the band. But Rob Heathcote lived to be 58, and he died in a motorcycle accident. Wow. This is a tough one. You're going to want to remember on the 26th, back in 2001, at the age of 46, I'd say known mostly as the drummer of Slipknot. I liked him as the guitar player in the Murder Dolls, especially. Talking about Joey Jordison. Yeah. Yeah, he got sick. He got what's called acute traverse myelitis. I don't know what it is. It's a rare neurological condition. He ends up losing the lo- losing the uh, use of his legs, but. Mm-hmm. Through therapy and all that, he fought hard and was actually in recovery. And things were starting to look like it was going to be okay. And then he died in his sleep. Oh. That's a bummer, man. I was always like kind of kind of mesmerized by that dude because he was such a good drummer. And then like the next thing I know, he's playing this amazing guitar in the Murder Dolls. And it's like, man, I had no idea. That he was a multi-instrumentalist. But if you look at his discography, he was doing all kinds of different stuff in all kinds of different bands. He was in like five or six different bands. Yeah, and I I was never a giant... I mean, I like the Murder Dolls. You've gotten me more into them than I used to be. But Slipknot, I I don't like much. But but he's so fucking talented. Yeah. And like he just was all over the map. And he was kind of a musician's musician. But... Man, he died so young. And it was like, that one actually caught me completely off guard when it happened. Yeah, a lot of people still affected by that to this day. Let's do one more to wrap up this edition of Rockstar Death Days, people we want to remember. Back in 2021, on the 26th, the very same day as Joey Jordison, 
That's a beat the geek question. Mm. At the age of 55, we lost metal church singer Mike Howell. Wow, another shocker. Yeah, Mike replaced David Wayne on vocals in Metal Church back in 88, stuck around till 96, then was back in the band in 2015 until he died because he hung himself. But it was kind of insinuated like he might have been prescribed something with some bad side effects that he wasn't aware of. You know, when you read the, hey, this will take care of your, you know, freckle on your cheek, but it might make you want to kill yourself in your sleep. I think that happens more often than people realize. I think so, too. And so from what I read up on it, that's kind of the gist I got out of it. Like, this was a guy who was awesome, was friendly, good to everybody he met, everybody that knew him loved him, had a lot to live for. And then something happened funny with prescription, and I don't think it was him, like, overtaking something or getting addicted to something. I mean, you see it in the commercials. You know, half the time, the side effects look like it's worse than what it's trying to cure. Well, and the fucked up thing is they're listing off this laundry list of horrible things. And at the same time on the video, you're watching people just having the greatest time ever. Yeah, they're running through a field of flowers. Yeah, and it's like, make us suicidal thoughts and and murderous thoughts of killing your family. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, you got to be careful with that shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer, man, to hear it happen to somebody that... Seemed to have had it together. Yeah, that was a, a big shocker for a lot of people. I remember when it happened. And it was like a lot of people. And I, I've never been the biggest Metal Church fan, but I remember people in that community were like, what the fuck? How, how does he do this? Right. You know, that makes sense then. Yeah. Although the new singer, really great. Yeah, they got a new album coming our way too. So Metal Church carries on. I'm sure Mike Howell would have it no other way. Their original singer's dead, too, David Wayne. That's true. But that's for another time. That's going to wrap up Rockstar Death Days for this segment. So those are the people you want to remember. Bust out some old New York dolls. Listen to some old kick-ass episodes of the Decibel Geek podcast featuring Gary Corbett. You're going to love that. He played on all kinds of cool stuff, too. Jeff Labar, you know it. Cinderella, it's awesome. First couple Megadeth albums with Gar Samuelson, heck yeah. How Will I Laugh Tomorrow When I Can't Even Smile Today? Suicidal, Bob Heathcote, Joey Jordison, Pick. Yeah, he's played on so much. And, of course, Mike Howell. Let's remember all those folks this week. One, one more quick thing about Gary. Um, I was actually having uh, – my wife and I were having dinner with our, our my in-laws, her sister and her, and her husband. They were getting ready to move to Florida. And we're hanging out at the restaurant, and all of a sudden, Shebop comes over the PA system. And I told them the story, one of my favorite stories about Gary, because Gary co-wrote Shebop for Cindy Lauper. Right. And my favorite story, though, is like, I, w- I remember the first time I approached him about that, I'm like, you're the co-writer of that song. And he and he, d- he immediately would shake his head and say, I only wrote the music. I had nothing to do with the lyrics. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that song, uh, as you may or may not know, as Aaron Camaro usually succinctly says, is about uh, flicking the bean. <laughs> I do say that, don't I? <laughs> You're the first person that ever told me that term, but I'm like, that's so perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> flicking the bean. Yeah. That's all in the archives with Gary Corbett. You can hear the story about how he came up 
with that iconic keyboard riff and that and a whole lot more awesome kiss stories talking about our favorite keyboard players on another episode gary corbett was the guy where at one point i think we felt like you have a guest you have a different guest you have a different guest you never have the same guest twice and then gary corbett's like now we got to start coming up with like different themes so that we can have people back on and gary was the inspiration for that because he was so awesome, we made up shit to have him come back on. Just let's talk about keyboard players. You're one, and we love hanging out with you. It's funny though that like two of our two of our better guests have been Gary Corbett and Paul Taylor, both keyboard players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of changed my feeling on that a little bit. Like you got to respect these dudes. Next saxophone. I don't think so. Let's not go too far. No sexual harassment episode trying to get huey lewis on as a guest or something well he's a harmonica guy although you know what talking about saxophones just to go off track here for a minute i will say this you and i actually hung out and went to a concert together last friday night Mm -hmm. when we went and seen todd zilla jones world another awesome former guest of the show that everybody loved and his band jones world and they had saxophones, they had trombones, they had all kinds of bones going on on that stage. <laughs> all kinds of bones going on in the audience, too, because they were freaking awesome, man. Todd Zilla's band was amazing. He was amazing. It had all that horn section in there, and I still loved all of it. So everything works in the right situation. I just don't yeah. like when people try to you know, force that saxophone in there. It doesn't ever sound right, but... Todd Zilla did it, man, and that was an awesome show. I'm not a horn guy either, but man, they they make it work, and and just the musicianship is incredible. And you know, of course, Todd Zilla's for uh, I don't know if it was for us or not, but he's busting out some of the Eddie Van Halen tapping and stuff on, on the guitar, and just just absolutely killing it. Yeah, he did. He was so good. Love Todd Zilla. Yeah. He- All right, so. Let's look at some rock star birthdays. Birthdays coming our way. Some we might have just missed, haven't weren't able to hit on the last one, but we'll get them in this time. Want to give a happy birthday to former guest of the show, Tony Mann. Had a birthday on the 13th. You guys might remember Tony. He came on and told us all kinds of kick-ass stories about New York City back in the day. That's a good one. I really enjoyed that episode because the stories he told were so descriptive that it almost made you feel like you were there seeing it yourself. Yeah, he was right in the middle of that whole scene and and knows a lot of a lot of great stories. Heck yeah, I'm sure he's got a lot more. Maybe we should talk about getting Tony back on the show. It'd be fun to have on again. New York Stories Part 2. Heck yeah. Here's another one. Former Rockin' Pod guest. This guy is he's a young dude, but he's done so much in rock and roll and in entertainment. Talking about Drew Fortier celebrating his 36th on the 14th. 36 years old and a member of Bang Tango. Exact. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Mathematically, it doesn't add up, but with the awesomeness of Drew Fortier, it's always right on time. Let's see who else. Here's another former Rock and Pod guest, Bebe Buell, celebrating a birthday on that same day, the 14th. Happy birthday, Bebe. On the 15th, happy birthday to Chris Wise. Chris Wise played bass in The Cult, Ace Fraley Band, Mick Jagger, Ozzy, Scott Weiland, and he's got his own band called Owl. Yeah, like the bird. It's really good. Also plays with the Hollywood Vampires with Alice Cooper and Joe Perry. 
That's right. That's right. I almost forgot about that, too. Yeah, this guy has done a lot of cool stuff. Celebrating his 54th birthday on the 15th. Happy birthday, Chris. And audition for Metallica when uh, Jason left. Boy, that would have been interesting. Yep. That would have been interesting. I'd like to see how that would have turned out. I like I like that Roberts in the band. I think he's probably the best fit out of all them guys. But, man, Chris Wise would have been pretty cool, too. Yep. So this is kind of a bummer, and this is why I switched it up. Because not only is Gary on the first list... And I've been taking off the people that are gone for the happy birthdays because, you know, it's hard to wish somebody a happy birthday when they're gone. But I'm going to leave this one on here because on the 15th would have been Gary Corbett's 65th birthday. So not only is it Kissmas in July here on the Decibel Geek podcast, July is also the official month of Gary Corbett. That's funny you mention that because Aaron Baker, you know, one of our longtime listeners, message me and he was like you know chris kispas in july is great but it, it this is the first one we've we've done without gary and it's yeah. it's different yeah and i'm sure if gary were still around we would have found a way to get him back on to help us celebrate it too because he had a million more stories to tell as well yeah man yeah it's true um i, I rock and ron is in this too right rock and ron would have been celebrating a birthday yeah, I uh, I posted about it a couple days ago. Yeah, man, shit. It it tears me up to look at guys like Rock and Ron and Gary Corbett, and we miss them so much. But on the flip side of that, like I said to you on Friday night when we were talking about this, without Decibel Geek, we never even know Rock and Ron, and we never even know Gary Corbett. Yeah, and so. Through the power of this show, and this goes double for the listeners too—the people that have also gotten to know Gary Corbett and Rock and Ron through this show. None of you would ever got to know them without this. None of us would ever gotten to know them without this. So, this is magic. You know, the Decibel Geek Podcast is magic in that way, where we're all a part of each other's lives now. It's it's beautiful, you know, and. The fact that we even get to remember Rock and Ron and Gary Corbett is an honor. I try to lean on one of my favorite sayings I've heard. I don't remember where I heard it from, so I can't give credit. But And that is, uh, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Yeah, I see the wisdom in that. You know, I mean, like, like you said, without what Decibel Geek, we never would have met these people. And it's one of those things like, well, at least we got to have that friendship, even though it was short-lived. Um, and, I, you know, I, I follow Dawn on Facebook, Ron's widow, and it seems like she's moved on pretty well, and she's doing pretty good now, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah, because at the time when nobody was doing good, we all pulled together. We did it for Gary Corbett, and we did it for Rock and Ron. Yeah. I mean, rock and, rock and roll can heal you. Yeah, man, Adam Cox, while we're talking about people like that, too. That's right. Yeah, another another great person that without this show we never would have crossed paths with. And, you know, lived all the way out in England. And, uh, you know, very dedicated to the thing. This music brings people together, you know, and it, you, you lose people. But at the same time, you got to appreciate them while they're here. Ain't that the truth? So good. I love it. I love these people. 
Happy birthday on the 15th to guitar virtuoso turning 67 this year, Joe Satriani, the Satch. Wow, he's that old. (laughs) Well, we're all getting old, man. (laughs) (laughs) On that same day, the 15th, happy birthday to Christian Simon. He was the guitar player in Faster Pussycat from 2001 to 2021, and then he retired. Yeah, he's living out here in Tennessee. He's a trip. That's awesome, man. I was always a fan of that dude. You know, when, when Faster Pussycat changed and they weren't like the class gear anymore, but the new band was good enough that, I mean, it it was a decent trade-off, you know. They didn't, they were so different because that was like the Newly Deads kind of era too. When Faster Pussycat went from being an L.A. glam band to kind of a, a dark band and they still kind of have that feeling today. Today they're somewhere in between, I think. Yeah, they're not the faster Hitler cat that they were for a little while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was your that was your phrase. I remember that cracked me up when you told me that. You were like, wow. faster Hitler cat. I'm like, oh, that's funny as shit. I don't even remember saying that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the... Um, the Farm Rock show, like we were all half in the bag and Faster Pussycat had played early in the day. And like we we shared drinks with Christian and uh, Chad from that band. And man, they were just as drunk as we were. And I remember thinking, man, it'd be fun to hang out with these guys every day. No, it was Chad and it was... Uh, or wasn't it? No, it was Danny. Tender. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But I remember like we were just all drunk and then I woke up at like the world's worst hangover the next day. <laughs> Oh, we were so drunk that night, but they were just as drunk as we were. I mean, we're we're standing there in the middle of a crowd of people, the four of us just talking to each other like there ain't nobody else there, and we're just cracking up and laughing our asses off and shit. It was those guys were cool, man. But I woke up the next day and I was like, I'm hurting so bad. And I'm like, how do the fuck do these guys do this on a daily basis? That's uh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Professionals. Leave it yeah. to them. Uh let's see. Who else we got? On the seventeenth. Man, 75 years old to the almighty Geezer Butler. Wow. Black Sabbath. Hell yeah. Autobiography out now, I think. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I need to buy that. Yeah, it's got to be a good read. Full of awesome stories. I love Sabbath. And on the 18th, here's another one getting up there. Glenn Hughes. You know him from Trapeze and White Snake and Sabbath, and, oh, God, the list goes on. You know, Deep Purple, so much that Glenn Hughes has done over his career. Did I say White Snake? No, he wasn't in White Snake. He was in Deep Purple. You know what I'm talking about. So many things that Glenn Hughes has done over the years, Dead Daisies. Now he's just Glenn Hughes again, but he's back out on tour at the age of 72. He's going to be hitting the States. I'm telling you, people, if Glenn Hughes is coming anywhere near you, you better go see him. When I was younger, I didn't know nothing about Glenn Hughes. Today, I would count him in my top five greatest singers of all time. Amazing voice and even a more amazing uh, bass tone. Yeah, yeah. And he's so good at mixing rock and funk on his solo albums because he's such a good bass player and he's such a funky, groovy bass player. But then he always brings in really good guitar players that really balance it out, man. That's Glenn Hughes is responsible for some of my favorite funk music because it blends like straight up funk with rock distorted guitars. 
And I think it's awesome the way he does it. Plus, his killer singing on it all, one of the greatest of all time, Glenn Hughes. Also sang one of the greatest Sabbath songs ever, No Stranger to Love. Right, Aaron? Eh, it's all right. (laughs) I'm just fucking with you. It's all right. I don't hate it because Glenn Hughes is singing it. I'll never forget one of my earliest exposures to Black Sabbath was the video for No Stranger to Love. It was on a, there was like an MTV knockoff st- uh, station called Music Box. Oh man, that's a terrible way to get introduced to Black Sabbath. It, well, I got introduced to the, to them that way, and also uh, Bad Company in the Brian Howe era with uh, Holy Water and No Smoke Without Fire. Wow, <laughs> that was like, yeah, like what a what a time to come into those two bands. Well, you know, growing up when we did it was a blessing. Sometimes it was a curse. Yeah, for sure. Let's see. On the 19th, here's another legend. Legendary guitar player for Queen for all these years. Turned 75 this year. You know I'm talking about Brian May. And let's do... What is the date going to be? We'll do just a couple more. All right. So then up next, we got a man who is so wonderful and gentle and just one of the sweetest human beings I ever met in my life. He couldn't be sweeter if he was sugar refined by angels. Happy birthday, Billy Hardaway. <laughs> wow, what a lead up. On the 19th. <laughs> Can't leave him out. The ray of sunshine that we love so much. You know it. That's our guy, Billy Hardaway, celebrating birthday. Probably turning 30 or so, I would guess. I'm also guessing he'll uh, tell you how you did this wrong. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Maybe for once I got it right. Yeah, maybe. Celebrating a birthday on the 21st, the metal queen, Lee Aaron. Nice. And on the 22nd, the bass player from Hair of the Dog, the boot, Brian Saputo, celebrating a birthday. Happy birthday, boot. Then on the 23rd, want to wish a happy birthday to our awesome friend, Eric Alberti. Nice. Celebrating a birthday. I love that guy. He is an inspiration to me. You know, he told me a story once that he loved rock and roll, but then he got away from it. Didn't care about it no more. And his life just went to shit. That's what happens. And then he re-embraced the rock and roll and his life just became exceptionally better after that. And it makes perfect sense. And to me... That's inspiration. Yeah, that'll teach you. Embrace the rock and roll. Don't ever let it go. Eric will tell you. You start listening to Backstreet Boys and it all goes to hell. (laughs) I don't know if that's how it went, but either way. Yeah, I'm not saying he listened to the Backstreet Boys. Happy birthday, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) And those are your rock star birthdays for this segment. So quickly then we turn to albums coming our way in the very near future. Here's a band that I know you have talked about in the past, and they're called Edge of Paradise. Mm -hmm. They've got an album coming out. It's their fifth full-length studio album from this L.A. band formed in 2011, and it's called Hologram. It's coming out on the 14th. You want to hear the description of what this is going to be? Yeah. You're going to want to know this. This is important stuff. Let me tell you about the new Edge of Paradise album, Hologram, it is described as this. Landing into the cyber world of the previous album, The Unknown. 
the heavier sound of hologram takes us right into the face of danger and tells the story of pursuit, sacrifice, and perseverance against all cosmic odds, uncovering the key to build a new reality. Okay. Yeah, that's what you're going to get with the new album from Edge of Paradise. That's out on the 14th. So they they eat mushrooms at that press office, I see. <laughs> Maybe. It could be something out of this world. It's got me it's got me interested enough to listen. I'll give them that. Right, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Then on the 21st, the third full-length studio album from Greta Van Fleet. Ah. The new album's called Starcatcher. Now, I know these guys catch a lot of hell because a lot of us older fans listen to it and go, Psh, that's just young kids ripping off Zeppelin. What say you about Greta Van Fleet? I've been listening to some of their newer stuff. I, I kind of dig it. I mean, the, the singer's voice is a little grating. That's the only issue I really have with it. Musically, I think they're they're pretty good. Um, yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't know. It seems like people like to pile on these guys, and I, I don't really get that. No, I don't either. I think they are a good band. And I think if you put it out of your head of what you heard about them being Zeppelin ripoffs, then you're going to see that these guys come from that, no doubt about it. They definitely have picked up on stuff like that, but not just Zeppelin. There's other stuff, too. These are the young kids we're always talking about that are finding their cool uncle's old cassette tapes and getting turned on to Zeppelin and Queen and you know all these old rock bands and then creating something of their own i think this one being that it's their third album they're over the hill they're old timers now <laughs> i think this one's going to surprise people well it just cracks me up though because it's like a whole generation of people like us that are like I wish that new bands sounded like what we grew up with. Greta Van Fleet, Dirty Honey, Rival Sons all come out, and then they're like, they're ripping off the bands we grew up on. I'm like, right. well, what are they supposed to do? <laughs> right, yeah. And again, you want to see rock and roll flourish into the future? Well, here's a rare example of a band that is a straight-up rock band that is getting some really, really good attention and have been for years. I think that's a good thing. I Yeah, I don't, I don't know what all the outrage is over. Greta Van Fleet's world tour kicks off very soon, and it kicks off right here in Nashville on July 24th, and then they're going all over the world. So for a band doing it on their own, doing their own thing, they're not some legendary name. They're touring the world. That's good. And as I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Dirty Honey a second ago, but have you really taken the time and listened to Dirty Honey no, they're awesome. I love them. But have you noticed how much their singer sounds like Anthony Corder from Tora Tora? Oh, we've talked about this plenty of times before. Well, their new their new song came out like this past week, and I listened to it. I'm like, God, it sounds like fucking Anthony. It sounds just like him. I'm not going to complain about it. No, it's just, it's amazing. And I've told Anthony myself, and he's like, oh, that's a big honor. I like those guys. But like, it just, it blows me away how much he sounds like a young Anthony Corder. I totally hear it. Yeah. Definitely do. All right, on the same day as Greta Van Fleet, ah, Canadian prog metal masters, Voivod. They're back with their 16th full-length studio album, and their first album came out way back in 1984. 
I wouldn't consider myself the biggest Voivod fan. I don't really know enough about him or have ever dove into him enough to really have a strong opinion one way or the other. But for a band that's never had a hit single to have been around since 1984 are here in 2023 putting out their 16th album and that don't count EPs or live albums or nothing. That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, I, n- I never could get into that band. I've tried several times. Well, I've got some Voivod CDs here, and I'm going to be giving them a chance here eventually. i got so many CDs now. Oh, here's an update for you. Somebody out there is going to like this a lot. So I've been finding Queensryche CDs. And I remember it wasn't too long ago when this came up when I talked about not really being a Queensryche fan, and somebody recommended I try The Warning. Yeah. And so I did, and I like it. I had a feeling you would like that one. I do like that one. There's like five songs on there, especially that I think are really good. Yeah, there's good stuff on that one. Like that album reminds me more of Lizzie Borden than it does of like what I preconceive of what I know about Queensryche. You'd like Rage for Order also. Okay, that's where I'm going next. <laughs> the early stuff is, is really good. Nice. All right, so who else we got coming up? Let's see. We can go. I think we'll do one. Ah, what the fuck? Let's go for it. We're not on a time limit. It's our show. Got three more for you. Girls School, probably best known for their collaborations with Motorhead back in the early 80s. They were formed in 1978 in London, so I would consider Girls' School definitely a part of the new wave of British heavy metal, even if they weren't one of the more popular ones. They're back with their 13th studio album. They've been putting out albums sporadically over the years. Girls' School's never really gone away. Their new one is called WTF 45? Question mark. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who that's about. What is it about? Who was the 45th president of the United States? Oh, okay. All right. That (laughs) went right over my head. I didn't even know. I thought, no, they haven't been around for 45 years. Yeah, okay. All right. (laughs) It's a political album. Damn it. From girls' school, who would have guessed? When I think politics, I think girls' school. Right, yeah. The band, girl band from England. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's... Okay, well, <laughs> coming out on the 28th, if you're into girls' school. I personally, I think they're great. I yeah. found a bunch of their CDs a while back of ones that came out in, like, the 80s and 90s that I had no idea about. There's some really good stuff on those albums. I don't remember the album. That, I don't remember the title, but they put out an album in 1982, and it was the same year Kiss put out Creatures, and, like, the something about the covers looked very similar. Hmm. Like the same blue coloring, and, and they use pink for the uh, font. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. I might have that one. It's called Screaming Something. I can't remember the name. I think I do have that one. I can't think of it either. All right, well, there you go. Some girls' school talk on the Geek Wire. On the same day as that, back with their 14th full-length studio album, the follow-up to 2020's Blood and Stone. You got new music from Seven Dust. The album's called Truth Killer. And you think about proficient bands, you really got to give it up to Seven Dust because they've been around since what? 
early to mid nineties. Yeah, like I think ninety was the first album. And they've got fourteen full length studio albums, so these guys have never stopped. No, originally managed by JJ French. That's right. That's right. I do remember that. I think that was kind of what brought them to my attention at first. Because I remember thinking if JJ French from Twisted Sister vouches for these guys, they gotta be good. And I've always liked Seven Dust. That first album I used to spin the shit out of that first record. It was you know, black and uh, bitch. And yeah, yeah. there were several songs on that record that I used to play the shit out of. Yeah, awesome band. And even all their stuff throughout the years. Like when I'm out CD hunting, I'll find Seven Dust albums that I don't have. And I'll take them and I'll give them a chance. And I usually find stuff on there that I like quite a bit. It's crazy to think about, but like I... I remember getting their press kit for, God, I don't remember the name of the record, but it came out in like 2005, and it was when I was running NashvilleRock.net, the local rock uh, website that I ran, and I used to get backstage access and everything to to meet the band and everything, and this is, we're going on 20 years now, and it's like, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but it's true, it has. I saw them, it was a show with them and Nonpoint and Stained, at a venue here in Nashville. Wow. That was a good show. That's early 2000s demigods right there. Yeah. And as much as I did not like Stained, I have to give those guys credit. They were great live. Um, Nonpoint sucked. And also um, Wicked Wisdom was on that bill. Uh, Will Smith's wife, Jada, was the singer for that band. And Will Smith was at the show. You could see him on the side of the stage. I remember that. Wow. Yep. That's a trip. People did not like them. No. (laughs) Will Smith go out waiting outside after the show to slap each and every person? Yeah, 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 he probably wanted to. uh, (laughs) Seven Dust was great, though. Oh, yeah. They they were awesome. Yeah, they know what they're doing, even way back then. I mean, they were naturals from the beginning. And then one more coming out on the 28th, the new album from Scold. You know, Scold from Shotgun Messiah. He was in Marilyn Manson for a while, and he does his own thing. It's like industrial metal, but it's, I don't know, I was listening to some Scold. And some of it's like industrial rock. You know, it's not all heavy metal. There's some kind of mellower rock on there, too, that's got, I don't know, it's not, it's like he doesn't overdo it with the industrial stuff, the sounds that he adds to the music. And I always thought he did. So I was reawakened to scold his solo stuff. It's not bad. I kind of like it. And the more I listen to it, the more I dig it. His new album coming out on the 28th is called Seven Heads. And it's the latest from Scold. He does, um, he's doing a U.S. tour. And uh, yep. he's not He's not doing Nashville, but he is playing Memphis. And I thought about going, but like, from what I've gathered, the only Shotgun Messiah stuff he does is that Violent New Breed album. Oh, man. Yeah, we'd get kicked out of there. I'd be like, hey, play some Heartbreak Boulevard. Well, that's what we want to hear. Yeah, I know. Although without without Harry K. Cody on guitar, I don't know if his guy could do that stuff. See, that's what I'm saying. We need a Shotgun Messiah reunion. Now, if that lineup from the Rock Cruise had all that plus the Shotgun Messiah reunion, no question I'd be on that boat. That's one thing I wish Monsters of Rock Cruise would do, is like 
every year try to reunite some band that hasn't played together for years. Yeah. Man, that'd be a good one. I'd love, love that. I've never seen Shotgun Messiah. Freaking love that band. Really right up to the Violent New Breed, because when that came out, I mean, I bought that on release day because I like Shotgun Messiah yeah, so much. And then listened to it and was like, what the fuck? You know, I like a couple songs on it. And there are yeah, there are some good songs on there, some really metal kind of stuff on there, but it was so different from what you expected. Is kind of a turnoff, you know. It did feel like trend chasing when it happened. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I miss the old shotgun messiah. Get does you gotta get Zinny Zan involved. Nah, bring it back, Tim Tim. <laughs> I would just take the second coming lineup. I'd be happy with that. That's what that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Harry Cody's out there still doing stuff. I was turned on to the idea that he plays with Tom Waits. I had no idea. He does? Yeah. I didn't know that. He's been Tom Waits. This is what I learned from doing Decibel Geek. When people make comments in the comments section, I learn that Harry Cody from Shotgun Messiah has been the longtime guitar player. I don't know up to current times, but for a while there, he was the guitarist for Tom Waits, which blows my mind because... I've never heard a good guitar solo in a Tom well, Waits song. <laughs> I was like, he's being wasted in that in that gig. Yeah, he's, he can't rip loose like he did in Shotgun Messiah. I saw a funny video on YouTube the other day about um, Tom Waits Tom Waits getting into a legal battle with Taco Bell, like ripping off one of his songs. Oh yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. That's right, because yeah, I did see that. I think. Yeah, they, they, yeah, like they, he had to sue the company because they, and the, the ripoff song that they, they, first they went to him and said, Hey, please do our commercial. And he was like, Fuck off. I don't want to do it. And then they did something that was so obviously a ripoff of him that he sued them. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. But that's weird here, imagining Harry K. Cody playing with, playing on that stuff. I know. I know. <laughs> it actually makes me want to check out some Tom Waits. Like, are there albums of his that really rocks? No, there aren't. I mean, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Bullet Boys did a cover of a Tom Waits song that is awesome. Yeah, the they Bullet did Boys Hang on St. Christopher. Yeah, that's one of my favorite Bullet Boys songs. For the longest time, I had no idea that was a cover. Yeah, but and if then, you listen to Tom Waits' version, you're not going to like it. <laughs> no, it's nothing like it. Wow, that's that makes the Bullet Boys version even that much cooler. No, he's... He's good for what he does, but there's no rock in any of his stuff. And when I heard that, I was like, if we ever meet Mark Torian, a guy, I ask him, like, what made you pick a song by Tom Waits? You know, nothing against it because it's amazing when you guys did it, but where's the connection? I mean, where do you even come across something like that and go, let's yeah. rock out a song by Tom Waits? It is. It was a weird choice. Um, it's very different than his version. But at the same time, I still like listening to some of that stuff that he does. But uh, I don't. Did you ever watch the TV show The Wire? No. Oh, because so. Tom Waits did the theme song for that. Um, that was kind of how I got. I mean, I I knew that Hang on St. Christopher was a Tom Waits song, but I didn't really listen to him. But when I watched The Wire, I knew that's when I kind of discovered who Tom Waits was. But like, it's just he's a white guy, but he sounds like a ninety-year-old black dude. Does the theme song from The Wire sound like, oh, yeah, way down below? Yeah, it just, yeah, he sounds like an old black dude. 
course, I love Hang On St. Christopher for obvious reasons. Hang on, brother. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. That's my segment. Rockstar birthdays, people to celebrate that they're still with us. Rockstar death days, all of our friends and heroes that we've lost. Time to remember them, never forget. And the future coming our way with new albums from Greta Van Fleet, Edge of Paradise, Voivod, Girls School, Seven Dust, and Scold. So there you have it. It's a weird week on GeekWire. <laughs> it is kind of weird. It's it's up and down, man. This is an emotional roller coaster today. Kind of is, and uh, we'll kind of keep the dead guy news going with the next story. Documentary. There's a documentary about um, late snot singer Lynn Strait that's in the works, and oh, nice. uh, an appearance of on an appearance of New Pod, the new podcast with Josh Toomey and Ro Coley. Snot guitarist Mikey Doling revealed that there are plans to make a doc- documentary about Lynn Strait. And said there's a director that reached out to us, reached out to me, and then Shavo, who is uh, from System of a Down, also involved. We're actually working on stuff now. We've started some interviews. Started with his family first, sisters and, and mother. Even the director has flown back and met with Lynn's family from back in New York, his aunts, uncles, cousins. So we've actually started filming. So I don't know if you were into snot back in the day, but they're kind of one of those what could have been bands because Lynn Strait died in a, uh, I think it was a car accident. Yeah, he died in a car accident in 98, just as they were kind of taking off. I did like Snot. That was a good band. I, I dug that. I had the album. It had the dog on the cover Yeah, with the ball on his nose. It said yeah. Snot on it. And then I remember it because it was like something new that people were talking about. And then I heard it at a party or something. And it was cool enough. It made me go out and buy the CD. Yeah. And then next thing I know, it's like, oh, that guy's dead. Like, when did this happen? You know, I just got the album. Yeah. And then the next thing was that there was a Lynn Strait tribute CD. And clearly straight this up. guy, yeah, straight up. And I know a lot of people had that too. Mm-hmm. That had Whitfield Crane on it and a bunch of other awesome people. So it just kind of went to show how well loved this guy was like, Snot wasn't a household name by any means. No, and they were just kind of getting I don't even, out of the gate. And I don't even know if their stuff was getting played on the radio. <laughs> well, no, you're not going to get played on the radio with a song called My Balls Your Chin. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> And I just I mean, lied just to fuck you. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it was kind of an underground thing, but yet popular enough in the very extreme short amount of time that that album had a chance to get noticed by people. Enough people liked it enough that, I mean, a lot of people had the straight-up tribute. Yeah. Well, the straight-up tribute was bigger than anything the band had done. Yeah. You know, because they they got kind of cut out from the knee. It was weird, though, because of how, you know, he died right as they were taken off. It very it Kind of almost the new metal version of Sublime with Brad Knoll dying right as they're taking off, you know. And, yeah. Um, the the dog on the cover of the album died with him in the car, in the car accident. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yeah, um, he was a mascot named Dobbs, and he was the dog on the cover. And um, but yeah, I remember my drummer at the time, Wes, who was my best friend, just used to love blasting my balls, your chin, and I just <laughs> lied, and it was just so funny because it was like so un PC. But um, but no, I liked them. I thought they were a good band. And, you know, hats off to, uh, seems like Josh is getting a lot of coverage with this n- new metal pod. And that just tells you how nostalgia kind of works in circles. So yep. it's like 
we're, we've now reached the point where new metal is being looked back fondly as a nostalgia trip, which it's, it's going to happen. And like everybody making fun of Creed reuniting, we've hit that 25 year mark where yeah. once you get that 20, 20 to 25 year, uh, you know, cycle, that's when stuff becomes popular again, just like when Kiss did it in 96. Yeah, that's totally true. You know, everybody comes into this journey of rock and metal music at different points. Well, and he also did a uh, a really cool bracket thing. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> bracket brawl? No, it's not. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> he actually texted me and gave me a heads up about it. <laughs> It's like, I'm going to do something that's going to piss off your listeners. I'm like, all right, I'm looking forward to it. Great. I don't think nobody minds. No, nobody cares. But nah. but we love to bust each other's balls, which is why I said that I ran into him in a Turkish bathhouse. Oh, I saw that. That was funny. <laughs> inside joke. Like, really inside. But anyway. All right. So, what else we got? Um. So, this is kind of probably old news by the time you're hearing it but uh, obviously um ozzy as a lot of us expected has dropped off the power trip festival and has been replaced by judas priest and uh, a lot of people were speculating about who's going to be the replacement i kind of knew immediately because ozzy had to cancel his european tour with judas priest opening last year yeah because he and he made it when he made the announcement he was backing out of the festival he was like some friends of mine are going to take my place. I'm like, it has to be Judas Priest because he owes them a favor. And sure enough, that's who it is. Well, then on top of that, all the biggest name bands in the world that are available are already there. Who's not there? Oh, Priest. Yeah. The only thing I have a problem, and I, I'm happy for Priest. I think that it's great that they're on this show. The only thing that bugs me is they have it set up to where Priest is playing the same night as ACDC. And it's like, well... Why not mix that up and have Priest play the same night as Iron Maiden because they're kind of like peanut butter and jelly. Have Priest and Maiden ever toured together since they both gotten mm. bigger? I I want to say that they did early, early on, but I don't know for sure. Because I would think because of the debate between Iron Maiden and Judas Priest because they both came from the same place at the same time, pretty close are vastly considered here in the States the spearhead, both of them, of the new wave of British heavy metal in the 80s. The debate is always constant with that. Who do you prefer? Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. I would say the reason that they could never tour together is because who decides who's the headliner and who's opening up? Well, as much as I hate to admit it, Iron Maiden is is bigger on a on a nat, on a worldwide scale. They play stadiums still. Judas Priest plays arenas. But it could be an unsaid thing between the bands going, "We're not opening for Maiden. Move us on to the other night." Well, that's the weird thing is like to me, Judas Priest. I'll take Judas Priest over Iron Maiden any day. I think they're way better, much better full catalog. And I know Maiden plays bigger stadiums and whatnot. But right the, for Power Trip, you've got Friday night, Guns N' Roses and Iron Maiden. Saturday night, ACDC and Judas Priest. Why not switch that and have it be Judas Priest and Iron Maiden on Friday and ACDC and Guns N' Roses on Saturday? It almost it makes more sense that way. But who headlines? Well, Iron Maiden headlines Friday. And I'd say ACDC headlines over GNR on Saturday. 
I love Judas Priest way more than Iron Maiden, but you have to admit Iron Maiden's bigger on a worldwide scale than Judas Priest is. Are they, though? Oh, yeah. Today? Look at the numbers. What sold more? Firepower or that last thing Maiden came out with? Well, I mean, you can't base anything off modern record sales. Well, but I mean, I don't know. But man. Maiden packs way more people live than Priest does, and I say that as a person who way more prefers Judas Priest. Because I saw Judas Priest at Municipal Auditorium a couple of years ago, and there was like two thousand of us there. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that blew me. I don't away. know. It was Judas Priest and Queensrÿche, and a two thousand people showed up. I guess it really comes down to personal preference then, because I like you. Well, unlike you, at one time, I would have said, I think for a long time, I would have said I prefer Iron Maiden. But again, since doing Decibel Geek all these years, I've totally changed my stance on Judas Priest. Like, I didn't really know a lot about him. I just knew the stuff I knew I liked, but I never really deep dove into Priest. And since doing the show, I did that. And today, I take Priest over Maiden. Oh, yeah. I mean, with Maiden... I just, it never fully clicked to me. Sorry, Billy Hardaway. Um, but, like, I can only hear so many songs with the galloping bass line and hearing the bass 20 times louder than everything else. I don't know. I still love them both, but I gave the edge to Priest. And I just thought maybe, I don't know, I guess, you got New Wave of British Heavy Metal Night if everybody's cool with it. I mean, that that would be awesome. How would you like to see a tour with Iron Maiden and Priest? Oh, God, I'd so buy a ticket to that. I wonder why that's never happened. It should have by now, but like it, it, even with Priest opening, I'd still love to see it. Yeah, and also got to send a lot of love to Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know. I really hoped he was going to be able to pull it off, but because I know, you know, that's where Ozzy's the happiest is up on stage. Yeah, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. I you mean, knew it, just, it wasn't going to happen. I did. I don't know. I don't think Ozzy ever goes on stage again. I really don't. I don't see no need to. No, he he's earned the retirement. The funny yeah. thing is, is like I, I saw an interview with him like a, a, a couple of months ago, and it did change my perspective on it because everyone wants to throw the hammer down on Sharon about this. Like Sharon keeps propping him up and throwing him out there on stage, but the just him talking himself, yeah. I think he doesn't know how to live life without going on stage. Right. You and I talked about this not too long ago about how everybody says, oh, it's Sharon dragging him out there trying to squeeze every penny out of him. But anybody that knows anything about Ozzy Osbourne knows that that's what he loves to do. Like he wants to be in the studio making new music. He wants to be up on the stage. He'd love to be out on the road. But I mean, damn. Now you could also make the argument that he has to live with Sharon if he doesn't go on the road. <laughs> Get me out of here. Get me back on the road. Yeah, I can't deal with living with you. Get me on the stage. But I, I, my prediction, and I hate to say it, but I, I don't think Ozzy ever goes on stage again. I think he's done. And I, I hate to say it, but I think in the next two years we probably lose him. I mean, it's a miracle he's alive now. No one thought Ozzy was going to live past 40. Back no, and look at him. He's he's <laughs> elderly. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's had a lot of gravy years since we thought he was going to die. Yeah. 
you know. That's going to be a sad one, man. I'm going to cry when Ozzy yeah. Osbourne passes away. I probably will too, but like if I look at my 13-year-old self and if somebody said Ozzy's going to be alive in 2023, I would have I would have laughed at you. I'd have pulled out a calculator, <laughs> did the math and said, "Uh-uh. Yeah. No way." He lived a lot longer than people expected. I'd have pulled out my watch with the little calculator on it. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those. We all did. <laughs> uh, Buck Cherry's Josh Todd says that rock is, quote, no longer dangerous. Um, back, he says, back in the day, there were bands that every band kind of had personalities, and they were all separate from each other. Uh, even though they were one in one genre of music, I can I can give a good example. The last decade, there were rock stars was the 90s. Uh, look at how many amazing frontmen you had. You had Lane Staley, Kurt Cobain, Eddie Vedder, Zach De La Rocha. All these guys were in a league of their own, and every one of them, the bands were different. So when you heard them, you knew it was them. And since like 2000, it's been like that on rock radio. So um, I don't know. Are we? Are there no memorable new bands or new frontmen for bands? Hmm. I don't know. I just look at what he said about rock no longer being dangerous. And that's a crown that was lost with the rise of hip-hop music. Like, once hip-hop was a thing, then rock really didn't seem dangerous by comparison anymore. Like, before that, like, Metallica, you'd be a little nervous about them because they might be dangerous. Guns and Roses, you better watch your ass around those guys because they're sketchy as fuck, you know? Motley Crue, for the love of God, don't leave your girlfriend in the same room with them by herself for any amount of time. These bands, Iron Maiden even, Priest, they all had an element of danger to them. But then when hip-hop came around, people got to look at what dangerous really really was. Well, you how do you get more dangerous than a drive-by shooting? Right, yeah, you know, no Guns N' Roses never shot at Metallica. I mean, the worst anybody ever did was threw darts at Kip Winger. Or Vince Neil challenging Axl Rose to a fist fight. To a fist fight, yeah, you know. But a fist fight versus a drive-by shooting, eh, your fist fight don't seem so dangerous at this point, you know. <laughs> when rap kind of took that danger and took it to a new level, that really kind of hurt rock because that was part of the mystique of rock back then was like, these guys are the kind of dudes, like if you're hanging out with them, you better be on your toes because anything crazy could happen at any moment. And you envision that as a kid, you know, because when you're a young kid and you're sitting home listening to these records, you're imagining what these guys lives must be like, you know, and it's their fist fighting and they're you know pissing on airplanes and they're getting arrested and they're chugging jack daniels and they're doing drugs and women throwing themselves at them all the time and and it's like becomes this big fantasy thing that goes along with the music when you're too young to realize you know it's all entertainment and even with with hip-hop and everything most of that's all just entertainment too but there was a idea behind it that this stuff is a little dangerous, especially when you got things like the PMRC telling you this music's dangerous. You got people out with picket signs in front of the concerts going, listening to this stuff could be bad for you, you know? It gave it that sense of danger that doesn't exist anymore, but 
goes for a lot of things, you know. The internet really gives people a picture into what it's really like. I think Josh Todd is out there on the road with Buck Cherry getting arrested every night, getting in fist fights every night, you know, screwing a different girl every night. No, if you get the reality of what his life is like, he's a traveling musician getting paid. That's his job, you know, doing what he's got to do, making sure his band sounds good every night. That's not dangerous. That's responsible. You know, <laughs> That's the responsible thing to do. And that's, that's what today is, you know, but before the internet, you didn't get that sneak peek into people's lives. You only had what you read in the magazines or what you imagined things would be like. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's all different, you know, nothing's dangerous anymore. Nothing's a surprise anymore. Nothing's everything's spoiled ahead of time. We know the life you lead and you're not living like Motley Crue back in 83. So no, none of you are dangerous like that. Yeah, like I can kind of sum it up with like when we started this show, we would get people on that had, you know, lived the rock star lifestyle and we'd basically go to them and be like, well, was it really as crazy and wild as we heard? And they're like, meh, not really. No. And it's just like, I don't know if I wanted to get that answer. You know, it's a, it's not the fantasy that you grow up thinking it is. Right, yeah. Um. So uh, one thing that was in, this was a couple more stories. Uh, Eddie Van Halen apparently nearly had a cameo in the third Bill and Ted movie. Did you see the third Bill and Ted movie that came out? Yes, I loved it. You Okay, so you're the one. I loved it. I thought it was okay. great. It gave I, me special feelings of nostalgia in my heart. I could not, I could not enjoy it for some really? reason. Really? Yeah, I hated it. thought it was awful. I thought it was pretty damn cool. Well, Alex Winter, um, who played Bill S. Preston Esquire in the franchise, did an interview on Darren Paltrowitz's Paltrowcast and said that we asked Eddie to be in every single movie, and every single movie he said no. So when we got to Bill and Ted 3, and this is a somewhat bittersweet anecdote, we had a whole sequence which ended up being the Dave Grohl sequence. That was supposed to be at Eddie Van Halen's house. Wow. He says, we went to Eddie and we were like, would you please, please be in the third movie? And he says, you know what, you guys, this one I would have done, but he was dying at that point. He was already quite sick. He didn't tell us that he was literally going to pass, but he was like, well, I'm not well and I can't do it, but I appreciate these films. We all love them. And if I wasn't sick, I would absolutely come down to New Orleans and shoot this with you. Wow. So so Eddie was going to be in the movie, but uh, his health uh, did not allow it. Man, that would have made me love it that much more. I boy, you actually liked it. I liked it a lot. I hated it. <laughs> I was excited for it. Oh, I was excited for it too. I mean, think about how many years we waited for it. I don't know, it was just so cheesy. They were all cheesy. Yeah, but I was 12. Well, maybe that's the difference. You didn't put yourself in the right mindset. <laughs> I felt like a 12-year-old again watching it. Yeah. Um. So, Dave, it wouldn't be a geek wire without us talking about Dave Mustaine. So, here's this week's Dave Mustaine story. Uh, Jeff Young, former Megadeth guitar player, has blasted, quote, douchebag Dave Mustaine over comments about ex-Megadeth members never, quote, amounting to anything. And he said that uh, in a recent interview with Oren O'Byrne of Bloodstock TV... Dave Mustaine reflected on Megadeth's performance five months ago when he had, he and his bandmates were joined by Marty Friedman during the first ever gig at to- Tokyo's Budokan. 
He said, Marty has made quite a name for himself on his own. Of all the ex-band members of Megadeth, Marty seems to be the only one that ever amounted to anything. No offense to the other guys. That's how the facts are. If you look at their sales and stuff, Marty's the only one that has ever done anything significant. And Jeff Young has decided to chime in on this. And he says, I'm just like, what about that little number one Brazilian world music album I did over here, douchebag? I had no idea. Yeah, because we're all keeping track of what the number one music or uh, world music album is in Brazil. Huh. This is like the worst counter argument I've ever heard. But he had a number one album. In Brazil in world music. Oh. Huh. That's not really a take that. I mean, it's something though. I guess. But, I mean, I, does that rank as well as five albums that made it maybe in the top ten in Japan? No. <laughs> What's the difference? I'm all about picking on Dave Mustaine for being a prick, because he is. But this is not a good counter-argument. I mean, really, if you think about it, I had no idea about that with Jeff Young, but there really isn't anybody else that left Megadeth no. to go on to bigger and better things. No, this is... Dave Mustaine is correct in this instance. Marty Friedman has had more success than anyone else has. And even that is is uh, arguable. Right, because, I mean, if you look at Jeff Young and, and Marty, I mean, being popular in Japan versus being popular in Brazil, what's the difference? They're both damn popular, so they're, I'd say equal. Yeah. But, I mean, well. but, because, but because Marty's still like deals in rock music he's still on people's radar yeah and this jeff young is doing some kind of brazilian world world music which i don't even know what that encompasses really well exactly that's my point (laughs) so i don't know um i'm trying to stick up for you here jeff young if you're out there doing metal albums that were doing pretty good in brazil I'd have an easier argument. Yeah, world <laughs> world music. What do you got? Congas or some shit going on? I guess so. I think that's what that is. Like stuff you'd hear at the like world market grocery store, right? Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> um, I will say I, I saw Marty open up for um, Accept on the at their show at Brooklyn Bowl here in Nashville. Man, Marty Friedman, what a monster player! Oh Great man. Player. Always has been. Even he yeah. was known for that even before he was in Megadeth. But what blew me away? Well, yeah, yeah, with all the all the uh, shrapnel releases with yeah. cacophony and stuff. That was kind um, of an exciting time when he joined that band. Oh yeah, because they were getting a true guitar hero. Yeah, and then, um, but also when I saw him live, man, his band is amazing. Especially the drummer. That dude puts on a show all by himself. It was wild. Nice. Um, but uh, no, but I mean, come on, Jeff Young. I mean, saying that you had a number one world music hit, that's not a good counter argument. No, it just kind of goes to say what Dave said. You know, none of them, even Marty, have gone on. You couldn't say what Marty does now is bigger and better than Megadeth. No, not at all. Um. So the last story for today. I mean, you can say that about a lot of bands, though. Yeah. Um, so we got one more story today. Let's do the Motley Crue check-in. So Mick Mars, quote, doesn't want to talk to his Motley Crue bandmates ever again, saying, I think all of us would be okay with that. Um, so things are definitely no better in the Motley Crue camp with Mick Mars and, and the guys. 
yeah, I don't even know what to say about that anymore. This has all been drug out so long and no kind of resolution has come about with it except for Motley Crue goes on and we all still wait for the Mick Mars album that's been promised to come out for how many years now? Yeah. His quote was, nobody spoke to me in 2022 during the stadium tour. A lot of the time I felt like I was just playing by myself. You know, how you can be in a crowd of people and still feel alone. That's how I felt the whole tour. I felt used, sad, and inferior. When we played the last show in Vegas, I felt relieved. A lot of the pressure was gone. But I was very emotionally wounded. They They weren't just shallow wounds. They were deep ones, the kind you can't get over. I think all of us will be okay with that, talking about not talking to them ever again. And I just don't mean with them. I mean with each other. I don't plan on having a funeral if I did. I think maybe they'd show up for that just out of curiosity. But for me, there's no funeral. There's no nothing. So uh, Mick kind of seems like he's kind of saying goodbye in an indirect way here. Yeah, that's bumming me out, man. I don't like that. That makes and me sad And there's the high know. note to go out on for this geek wire. Lame. I don't like that. I don't know. Do you think there's any chance of reconciliation with these guys? I guess not. Doesn't sound like it. I mean, geez, you're on tour with a band and they don't even speak to you? Yeah, that bothers me. I mean, that's something like shitty people would do. But I mean, I guess we've heard from for years, even on the quote-unquote final tour that they did, that they weren't even traveling together even then. Well, it must be weird to show up and just be like, well, I'm here to do my part. Do you really think that Tommy, Vince, and Nikki even get along with each other anymore or even really speak to each other? Or do you think it's all just business? I guess at this point, it probably all is just business. Like, I, I could see Nikki and Tommy maybe talking to each other, but, I mean, they've all hated each other for so long, you know, especially they hated Vince. Yeah. I can't imagine, I don't know, that just seems so shitty. Yeah, it just seems like it's turned into a corporate thing. Yeah, because then you don't even feel like you're getting your, your experience because you're there to see Motley Crue, not this guy or that guy or that guy or that guy. You're there to see Motley Crue. You know, you expect, I guess, just like everything, you know, peeking behind the curtain ruins it. What you What you expect in your mind is... These four guys, before they come out, and they're high-fiving. Hey, we're going to have a great show tonight. Are you ready? You know I'm ready. Let's go out there. Let's kick some ass. All right. High-five. One, two, three, go. Ain't none of that. And that ruins things, you know? Knowing what's behind the curtain ruins everything. Sometimes with Motley Crue, I wonder if they were only really friends through, like, Shout at the Devil era, and then things fell apart after that. It's... Uh, you gotta wonder if some of these bands, it's like they're just holding on for the money, and it's not, it's not like really all for one, one for all, like it should be. If you had to be friends, like good friends, let's take it one step further. If you had to be neighbors with a member of Motley Crue, not counting John Five or John Karabi, just the original four guys, one of them's moving in next door to you. Who do you want to live next to? Oh, it's got to be Mick. He never does anything. That's what I'd say, too. <laughs> Definitely not Tommy. Probably not Nikki because you're going to be complaining about stuff all the time. Yeah. Hey, I noticed you uh, mowed a foot over than you did the last time. I uh, I noticed that because I tape measure out here, and I put this little marker here to show where my yard starts and where yours starts. Right. So uh, 
You mowed a little too far again this time. And Vince. I would like to drink with Vince, though. Yeah, but I think it it's, feels like there'd be like parties till 3 a.m. all the time. Yeah, I would get old fast. Like, man, Vince Neal was cool when we were hanging out barbecuing, but man, it's 3 a.m. and I got to work in the morning. And he's got a fucking party going on over there. Mick Marsh, you'd see at the mailbox and be like, hey, Mick, how are you? He'd say, leave me alone. He'd be like, all right, fair enough. All right, buddy. See you next time. <laughs> I think, yeah, I would definitely rather have Mick Mars as my neighbor. Let us know in the comments section out of the four original members of Motley Crue, who do you want to live next to? <laughs> Cue the Mr. Rogers theme song. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's Kissmas in July. We don't have any Kiss stories? Not really. I mean, there's not really much going on, out, you know, as far as Kiss goes. I mean, nothing nothing I saw that was worthy of putting on the list here. Oh, hold on a second before we get to the KISS stuff, if there is any. I've got late breaking news right here. This literally just happened about 20 minutes ago. We all know and are familiar with the band Dawn of the Rising and our, oh, friend, yeah. and our friend Ray Kuhn. He made an announcement that he is now the lead singer of the band Angel Black. I saw that. They, I guess, I don't know a lot about them. From what I gather, they've been around for quite a while and have a really good following. Their lead vocalist, John Kaysen, recently passed away. I don't have details on that, but the band is going to carry on. Ray has agreed to step into that position to not replace John, but to carry on the legacy and the music that they wrote and write some new songs that are already in the works. And... That's what he's doing moving forward, but not to worry because even though he has the support of his brothers in Dawn of the Rising, he will also continue to rock with them as well. So breaking news right there. Good news. Dawn of the Rising lives on. Even better news. Ray Coon is now a part of Angel Black. So they get better. I don't know. It's not a matter of getting better. It's a matter of carrying it on. I'm just giving him a compliment. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll be interested to check out some of that coming up, too. I know Dawn of the Rising, they're on the verge. As far as this doesn't interfere with that, I know they were on the verge of releasing some new stuff as well. So we'll keep you updated on that. Dawn of the Rising, another group of younger guys, rock band, heavy metal, good stuff, right, right in the Decibel Geek wheelhouse. We fell in love with that band a long time ago. We always wish the best for them and, of course, for Ray in his new endeavor. But keep that Dawn of the Rising coming because we're looking forward to that and we're hoping to see it this year. Yeah, for sure. And they, they might be coming to Nashville later this year, right? Yeah, that's what I heard. I was looking forward to seeing them. So I guess, I mean, we should talk about some Kiss. But if we're going to look at Kiss stuff, I'm just going to go ahead and go to Brave Words. And I'm going to go into the news. There's the search. K-I-S-S. It's I'll look Kiss. at the Kiss of AQ and see if I find anything interesting. Most of the stuff I found was really not. Oh, I'll tell you one ridiculous story. All right. Um, although I think people are blowing this out of proportion, but it's uh, Gene Simmons reflecting on jamming with Rush frontman Getty Lee saying, quote, at least from what I recall, he didn't understand what a blue scale was. Hmm. And he's talking about when, you know, Kiss and Rush toured, and um, 
him and Getty after a show at a hotel were sitting down and he says, do you want to do a blue scale? You go first and I'll continue the chord pattern. And Getty said, I don't know what you mean. And he says, at least from what I recall, Getty didn't understand what a blue scale was or what one, four, five meant. That also bears knowing, noting that when you go one, four, five to a musician, that means something as a relationship of notes or chords. And so I go, well, okay, you hit a G either octave or low, which one? And he said, which one is that? And Getty played purely by ear. I find this hard uh, to believe. Unless Getty was just messing with him. It, he had to have been. Cause that's, the, that's what I got when you said that. I think Getty's playing a joke on Gene. Like, I'm thinking, Gene, you're probably the one who doesn't know what they're talking about. Like Getty Lee reads that and goes, oh, man, the joke that never ends. Yeah. I cracks just me up every time. Happening. No, because look at their first album. I mean, that was all just straight up rock. And what's straight up rock? It's basically blues amplified. Yeah. Uh, what about Gene Simmons auctioning off his his collection? I haven't really seen much that was all that interesting on it, but I, I don't blame him for trying to make some money. And at the very least, at least fans get it. So I'm I'm not as up in arms over this as some other fans are because it's like, well, why not let fans buy it? You know, yeah. make some money on it. Yeah, all the stuff that was in his house during his TV show. Should I we guess. talk about the spaceman elephant in the room? I mean, yeah, it is Christmas in July, and it is GeekWire, so, yeah, what do you got? What do you know about Ace? Have you watched any Ace videos lately? Um, Let's see. I watched part of something the other night. Ace is in bad shape. Why do you say that? Watch the videos. I didn't think he looked that bad. I mean, he's not. He's getting old, man. Why do you uh, think he put such a powerful and attractive band around himself? To help elevate him. Oh, I have no problem with the band. They're friends of ours. But uh, he's making mistakes where, and I'm not dissing him. I'm saying I think that I think that his mental faculties may be in trouble. And it's not me. It's not me pointing and laughing. It's me pointing it out. Yeah. It's where I'm worried about him. I think that I think that there's some issues between hearing loss and memory loss. I mean, the he's. He's playing Rocket Ride twice within three songs. He's the other somebody posted a video of him in Texas the other day doing Detroit Rock City and like the little break before the solo, he's playing the complete wrong part. And this, this is stuff that used to be automatic for him. And I'm not joking about it, but I I don't think he's doing well. Hmm. And it and it bothers me because like people people are pointing and laughing and I'm like that's Ace fucking Fraley, and yeah. at least he's not using a fucking track to do it. Right, yeah. But it's still it's still worrisome. Yeah, I hate to see that. Huh. I'm, still, I'm still hyped for the new record, though. Really hyped. When is that? Is there a release date on that thing yet? Hasn't been, hasn't been officially announced for a release date, but apparently yeah. it's done. Man, come on with it. I'm ready. I'm more interested in more studio stuff than I am the live show anyway. Right. But, um, but, but that, you know, some of the videos and some of the response to the videos, I'm like, man, come on, man, what are you doing? I don't think it's a laziness factor. I think it's a, there's some physical or mental stuff going on. Hmm. 
Man, I hate to see that. I do too, but it's 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 like the truth about a lot of our heroes. Right. It's the facts of life is that we get older and those things are going to happen to us whether we're up on the stage for everybody to see it or not. You know, when you're up on the stage for everybody to see it, well, then it becomes that much more amplified and, you know, people aren't going to notice you, you know, fucking up in your home, in your kitchen, but they are going to notice you fucking up when you're up on stage. We got lucky with our Marathon Music Work show. Yeah. Because he was definitely on that night. Oh man, he was on fire that night. That was a really good show. Yeah, uh, that was a great. That was a great final ace show for me to see. Yeah, man, I hate it. I hate it that all our legendary heroes are getting old and can't do it no more. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Just got to stick with the bands for the future. Yeah. What else we got on here? Uh, Kiss used the Beatles as a template for success as opposed to the Stones. We wanted to form a band sort of like the Beatles on steroids, says Gene Simmons. How different would Kiss have been if they'd have been more like the Stones instead of the Beatles? Mm, Maybe better, actually. You got that Stones part with Ace. Like Gene and Paul are definitely Beatles. I see Ace as Stones. And Peter's doing his own crazy thing. Although I always heard a little bit of Char- Charlie Watts and Peter's playing. Yeah. So I'd say Ace and Peter are more Stones. Yeah. Gene and Paul definitely more Beatles, and maybe that's why it works so well. It's funny you mention that because um, there's a uh, Kiss group or Kiss fans group that they share a lot of, un- not unreleased, but like or remasters of bootleg stuff. And somebody on there shared a like really good copies of the wicked Lester album and yeah. And all the demos like, so you've get the, the Steve Coronel demos are on one disc, the Ron Lee Jack are on the other. Ron Lee Jack was a much better player, but the quality, like what I used to have is old cassette dubs of this stuff. And it sounded awful. Yeah. Um, but these are like high quality versions of those songs. And it's kind of weird listening to, uh, Wicked Lester because it's like AM Gold yacht rock type stuff. Oh, totally. But I do I do think I appreciate it more as an older person than I did when I first heard it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, some stuff sense. I can actually see a little bit of value in it. That makes sense. Yeah. Hey, I learned something. This is totally off the kiss track. I learned something this weekend about bootleg LPs. I never knew there was such a thing. Bootleg vinyl? Yep. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of it. I had no idea. We were thankful that the guy was honest about it, but we figured it's probably because people have come back threatening to kill him. But we went to a thing in Nashville called the Punk Rock Flea Market. Oh, yeah, I've been to that before. It's really cool. Kind of cool. And there's a bunch of people down there selling vinyl. And one of the, from Motor Soul, he's been at Rockin' Pod. Yeah, Dan Safer. I like Dan. Him. Yeah, he's awesome. He was down there. He was the only one down there selling legit stuff. Oh yeah. Like the other ones, like so we got excited. My wife got excited because she found the LP of Van Halen Balance. <laughs> 55 bucks. She was like, "No way." 55. Listen. She's like, "No way. $55. That's a deal." And then the guy's like, "Hey, I got to let you know, those are all bootlegs." He says uh, the real one sells on online for like three hundred bucks. Oh, you're talking about counterfeit vinyl, right? Yeah, bootleg. That he called it bootleg, but yeah, counterfeit. 
And I said to the wife, I suppose, like, if you had the equipment and the know-how to make an LP, you could burn something off your disc and put it right onto an LP, mm-hmm. print out the packaging, and pass it off as if it was the real thing. Wow. For a second there, we might have bought it because I didn't look closely at it enough to realize something was off about it. And he came and said, hey, I want to let you know those are bootlegs. You know, they're not they're not legit. And I look at it and I turn on the back and like there's no labels on it where you'd see like the record label logo and stuff like that. And I go, oh, put that back. That's worthless. Well, especially if you're being charged $55 for it. $55 for it. And that's what I said. You know, we walked away and I was like, you know, I'm really grateful that guy spoke up and said something, was honest about it at least. But I bet you he loses a lot of sales that way. I thought, I bet you one time somebody came back and said, I ought to beat your fucking ass. I got back to the car and I realized what this is. Give me my money back or I'm going to stomp you. Yeah. And so maybe that inspired him to be upfront about it. Or he was just nice. But I can't imagine why would you have it and be selling it and then go, hey, I just want to let you know that's bullshit. Like, <laughs> I'm not spending $55 on that is what I would think everybody would say. But I had never come across counterfeit LPs before this weekend. Yeah, they're out there. Although legit or not, $55 for any version of Van Halen's balance is a crime. I'm telling you, the ones online sell for like 300 bucks. Jesus Christ. Although that was way late into the 90s, though. There wasn't that many vinyls being made. Exactly. And so when my wife is looking for certain LPs, I can tell her by when they came out of how hard it is going to be to find them. Because stuff from that era is generally pretty hard to come by. Because even though they did release LPs, it wasn't a lot. Because it was all cassettes and CDs at that point. Mostly CDs. Back then, LPs were junk. Yeah, I'm still kind of bummed that I sold off my Soundgarden down on the upside vinyl that I ha- I bought new at Tower Records. I sold it for like 30 bucks, and I think now they go for like $200. Yep, because that's the era of where it's hard to find LPs. So you got to wait until they come back out on 180 gram or whatever, you know, till they re-release them. But those original release albums from that time period makes those albums super, super valuable. So don't get suckered by no $50 bootlegs out there. When you people are buying LPs, make sure you're looking close at them to make sure you're not just buying something somebody made in their house. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't see a whole lot of other Kiss stories going on right now, but Kissmas in July, it continues on. So your very next episode is going to be your next installment of the Kissmas in July series. And we'll leave that as a surprise, except for our VIPs who already know what we're doing because they're VIPs. They get to go behind the curtain and see exactly what's going on behind the scenes at decibel geek so they already know what's coming if you don't maybe you want to go on over to patreon.com and look up decibel geek pick your level of commitment and you will have a lot a lot of audio that you're going to be able to listen to because we've been recording stuff and putting it on patreon for years so you'll be able to go back in the archives and start over steve zizlepsky just recently became a Decibel Geek VIP and was very happy he did it. You could be like that too. 
All you got to do is join up. Other than that, we've got our Facebook page happening. We want to see you like that. We'd like to see you join up in the conversation on the Decibel Geek community. That's where everybody's talking about rock and roll. And if you need a new favorite music podcast, there's only one place that's going to do it for you the way you want it. And that's Pantheon Podcasts. So check out Pantheon. Like I said, at the very least, just go give them a like and a follow. And you'll be up to date on everything Pantheon Podcast has to offer. And you'll find that they are serving you the latest and greatest in music podcasting. Much in the same way we're serving you the latest and greatest in the world of hard rock and heavy metal news right here on GeekWire. So give it all a like. Give it all a lot of love. And... There you have it. That's your news for this week. This has been GeekWire. I'm Aaron Camaro. That's Chris Sinzak. And we'll see you next time. See ya. to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.